Welcome back to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I always appreciate my listeners letting me know if there's anyone that they want me to interview or if there's a topic that you just would like for me to discuss. Today, I'm going to interview one of my favorite people. This is my longtime friend, Kelly Green. We have a lot of funny stories about Kelly Green that we probably won't get into today. Um, But the reason why I've chosen to interview him on the Herb Walk is because a couple of years ago, he had the opportunity to acquire a natural medicine healing center in Peru that he's been going to for the last, almost the last two decades. So I thought it would be really interesting to hear about his work in the Amazon rainforest with people that he's known for almost 20 years. So it's a really special interview. We talk about his time at Refugio Altiplano and the services and ceremonies that they provide at their place on the uh, Rio Tamishiaku, about an hour outside of Iquitos, Peru. So stay tuned if you want to learn more about ayahuasca ceremony, about what it takes to run a natural healing center in a different country. It's, there's always some fun little challenges. And uh, just to hear about his journey with plant medicine in the Amazon jungle. As always, thanks for listening. Feel free to shoot me a line with any comments or questions you have for Kelly or for me. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. Today, I am here with Kelly Green, Chief of Operations of Refugio Atiplano, a natural medicine wellness center near the village of Tamishiaku, Peru, along the Amazon River in a beautiful jungle location. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for having me on your show today. (laughs) You're welcome. It is my pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about who you are and what took you to the Amazon jungle in Peru back in 2000. All right. Well, my name is Kelly Green and I'm from the Seattle, Washington area. And my background is primarily in organic farming. However, I've been studying Amazon plant medicine and shamanism we're close to 20 years now, and I first learned about the indigenous healers of the rainforest when I was in college in Santa Cruz, California. And those were the days when, you know, there was a lot happening and a lot of expanded consciousness happening in the area. And when I finished college, I had the great privilege of going to Peru and visiting a very close friend of mine who was working as a journalist in Lima. And after doing some trekking in the Andes, we decided to make the journey out to the Amazon rainforest where I great luckily stumbled upon Refugio Altiplano Healing Center in the year 2000. So it wasn't necessarily ayahuasca that took you to Peru in 2000. You just found it along the way. Yeah, I'd been aware of it for probably close to four or five years prior to my trip to Peru, just through reading journals of Peruvian shaman and the Amazon rainforest kept coming up and the works of Terrence and Dennis McKenna and kept kind of pinpointing this region of the Amazon basin, a lot of the literature. But we actually went down to um, hike the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu and spend some time at the beach and just kind of hang out with some friends and have a little proving adventure. But at that point, I realized, wow, we're just an hour away from the rainforest by plane and talked my friends into going out there with me and starting the 
adventure of a lifetime. Oh, it was definitely an adventure of a lifetime now that you are, you know, the proprietor or the person in charge, the chief of operations of Refugio Altiplano all of 15 years after going there, you had the pleasure of now being a huge part of it. And 18 years later, I mean, you've just seen a lot change from the time of your first going in the year 2000 to now the huge, you know, ayahuasca tourism that is occurring today. Um, But before we get into all that, let's talk a little bit about that first experience 18 years ago from the boat ride to Refugio to showing up in this like beautiful, pristine area, hundreds of acres of natural rainforest, then to sit in a maloca with shamans and take part in ceremony, you know, just kind of paint the picture for us what it was like as a young person traveling through Peru. Well, yeah, let's see. I mean, we were, we were mid twenties and everybody was just out of college and, you know, out there stepping out in the world for the first time. And actually our first trip into the rainforest we ended up in Pucalpa, which is kind of the the head of the Shipipo nation and there for those of you who don't know who the Shipipo are they are the main indigenous tribe of Peru that works with ayahuasca primarily as their plant medicine and many of the centers in the Iquitos area will employ the Shipipo healers who come from their villages outside of Pucalpa so originally we were in Pucalpa for a few days and looking around and hearing stories about shamans and in a way, it was a little scary going out into these villages with no electricity, not knowing what we were getting into. And so after a few days, we pulled the plug on that one and flew to Iquitos and then continued looking around. And our first experience was actually with a local jungle lodge that takes you out to see the pink dolphins, see the sloths, check out the rainforest. And on the last night of like a three-day jungle tour, there's an optional ayahuasca ceremony. So that was our first ayahuasca ceremony. And I think they must have just found a shaman down in the local village. And we were in a small room. It was quite uncomfortable. And I don't know if the ceremony is being done properly. It was more just kind of something added into a tourist schedule. So I left left that feeling pretty disenchanted from all the years of reading and what I thought a traditional ceremony was like. It was very far from that. And then at that point, just kind of giving up, you know, hearing all these stories about this shaman's a good shaman, that shaman's not a good shaman, don't go to this center. And at some point, I was just kind of ready to throw the talent and say, hey, at least we tried. And, you know, it's a crazy world. And this is before ayahuasca tourism or medical tourism became as huge as it is today. And on my last few days in Iquitos, I met this um, gringo from... I believe he was from Michigan and he had studied in Santa Cruz as well and studied with the Native American church in New Mexico. And we started having a conversation, found a lot of commonalities in our lives and our interest with shamanism. And he had spent eight years studying with the Shipipo. And in the late 90s, he had ended up purchasing this land two hours upriver, which is now, which is now Refugio Altiplano. And he said, hey, I just built this center if you'd like to come visit for a few days be my guest and the next morning I was on a boat ride two hours up the Amazon River landing on this huge 1200 acre rainforest preserve in a center that was pretty much had only been in operation for maybe two years at that point and which would soon become one of the largest centers in South America. That's awesome what a great opportunity 
And so from that point on, were you going every year or was it just kind of when you felt the wind turned and you needed to go back? Yeah, well, at that point, I ended up going out there and I spent probably about three nights out there by myself. And actually, when I first arrived there, there were no other guests. So here I am on this huge piece of land, you know, jungle children running around. There were tigers, pet tigers running around. And, and, and my first ceremony, actually, it was myself and five shaman in the Maloka, the ceremonial lodge. That was my first actual traditional ayahuasca ceremony, which was life-changing and transformative, just as small words to use for it. And then I um, ended up over the next five weeks spending quite a bit of time out there and doing over a dozen ceremonies. Uh, my friends ended up coming out and doing their first ceremonies. My first journey out there I sp in the year 2000, I spent about five weeks out there and my friends I was traveling with came out. My sister flew down from Costa Rica. Well, the ceremonies, the first five or six ceremonies were very challenging. I faced a lot of parts of myself. I never really explored relationships with people like my father and people of my past, my son's mother, and really did a lot of emotional processing. And it was challenging. It's definitely not, there was nothing easy about it. But in our ceremonies at the Refugio, we do a 12-day program that involves seven ceremonies. So at that point, I was about six or seven ceremonies in. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to stop. Somehow I was guided to push through and made it to about 12 ceremonies in those five weeks. And it started to get easier and actually more, more and more beautiful. And I was having the symbolic breakthroughs with ayahuasca. And just the love and the healing that the plant shows you once you've done some of the harder personal emotional work. So over the next, say, six years, I had fallen in love with the rainforest. I thought about it all the time and had such an impact on my life that I returned every year for about five years. And I would spend maybe a week or two and do a few ceremonies. So and then as my life got busier raising children and work and houses and all that fun stuff. I would go down every three or four years. So I'd say in my first 15 years there, I'd probably been had about eight trips down there and, and done about 30 ceremonies. It seems like you definitely have a deep connection to the jungle and to the people at Refugio, because just like all things, I'm, so, I'm sure some people have come and gone, but you've also got to you know develop a relationship with some of the people who have worked at Refugio for decades. Such as Jose, for instance. Jose is my head shaman. He lives in the nearby village of Terrapica. Jose has been at Refugio Altiplano over 22 years now. He was there with the original owner helping build the center. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, he was trained for years with some of the best shaman in the area. And now he is the leader of all our ceremonies. And we're, we're like best friends. He oversees the operation. He oversees construction. He's our boat driver. And he's pretty much, you know, he's, he's our everything and everybody loves Jose. And most of our workers live in the local village. About 90% of my staff lives in the local village of Terrapaca, which is about a 15 minute canoe ride or a 10 minute walk through the jungle to get home to their village. A couple of them live in the other village, Tommy Shiaku, the larger township about you know 25 minutes downriver so it's a really close-knit family of about 13 people on my staff and really tight 
tight, close community. And then I think my guests who come really feel that closeness and sweetness of people that haven't, you know, come from afar. They all go home and spend time with their families every few days and their children come visit them and they're, they're still able to have that closeness with their families and, and continue to work in, a, in an environment where they all you know, seem to be thriving and happy. with the Airwalk with Jessica Baker and I am speaking with Kelly Grain, Chief of Operations at Refugio Altiplano, a natural medicine wellness center near the village of Tamishiaku, Peru, in the beautiful Amazon jungle. Hi again. Hi Jessica. So we were just talking about Jose and your the other staff at Refugio and how, you know, they really Well, one, they just have this awesome work environment because the location is so beautiful and they can either walk or boat to work, you know, back and forth from work to home. And I have been there. So I know that and and I've heard people talk around Iquitos, you know, not everyone treats their staff very well and they don't get paid well. And there's, you know, unfortunate, there's a lot of unfortunate things that go along with just owning a business in a foreign country, you know, where there's not as necessarily as much integrity if. OSHA's not watching what you do with your employees. That's true. So it's really great to see that there's a lot of good businesses happening in Peru and offering this really important plant medicine that, you know, as we know, the world really needs to have this deeper connection with plants and and also a deeper connection with themselves, which I think is what ayahuasca and other herbal medicine gives us. So talk a little bit about what happens in ceremony. Mm, what happens in ceremony? Well, a lot Which happens. Is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, lot. I know that's a hard question to ask, but I guess I just mean, uh, you know, explain what is happening when they're singing these Icaros and these healing songs. Well, yeah, yeah I, the question is asked to me often, you know, what does happen in an ayahuasca ceremony? How long does it last? When does it happen? What happens in ceremony? And so we, as I mentioned earlier, we work in a, a seven ceremony process. Guests will come stay for 12 days, 11 nights. And of those 11 nights, we will do seven ceremonies. And first of all, the medicine, the most important part of this process is doing a process where it's, they call it the limpieza, the cleaning. In the first few ceremonies for people, there'll be a lot of physical discomfort, vomiting, potential diarrhea, just the body flushing itself out of all the toxins that have built up through one's entire life. And, and when the next part of the, of the cleaning is the emotional cleaning, processing emotions that have yet to be assimilated, traumas, loss of loved ones, grief, all of those things. And, and there'll be a lot of laughter. There'll be a lot of crying. There's a lot of emotional release. And while this is happening, you're, the shamans are singing to you. Jose will spend the first hour of a ceremony singing to the entire room, which is usually nine or ten guests in the room at that moment. And then our Shapipo maestros will come sit individually in front of each guest and sing to them an individual song based on the diagnosis he has done in the nights before, understanding where a person has blockages, what organs may not be functioning, and what plants he needs to call in to sing to the person. So the song he will be singing to each guest is a song that was taught to him by a plant that he had spent weeks or months dieting on that plant 
and that plant is addressing certain organs in the body. So it's quite a magical process of songs being taught to them from the plants, and then the songs are then sung to the guest to help them in their healing process. Yeah, and, that's really beautiful. And these songs are, they call these songs Icaros, and that throughout the ceremony, the, they will be singing for three or four hours Icaros, which are the plant songs. And in their belief, these songs are where the true healing's coming through. The ayahuasca, the medicines have opened the body up to be more receptive to receive the healing from these Icaros or plant songs that are being sung to each guest for their own healing purposes. That's really beautiful. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's also really true. I mean, I've had someone singing an Icaros directly to me, you know, multiple times, and it's there's really nothing like it. You know, you definitely feel like you're being infused with some deep plant medicine, which is another cool thing about Refugio, I think, is that you have a medicinal herb garden where you grow a lot of different plants. We do, yes. Can you explain the herb garden a little bit? You know, I know that it's been there for, you know, a few decades. Yeah, it's been there for at least 20 years now at this point. Okay. And it it, um, it exists on an adjoining property. So the original um, founder of Refugio bought the initial property that I own, and surrounding it there is a another larger preserve that's a, that's a complete rainforest preservation area that we're working on to continue to protect from logging and agriculture. And then on the next property downriver, we do have our medicinal plant gardens where we probably have about 60 or 70 different plants growing down there. And they're all medicinal plants. Some of them we use for our flower baths, where we do kind of a cleansing with different flowers before ceremonies. We have um, medicinal trees, sangre de grotto, una de grotto. We grow ayahuasca and chacruna down in the gardens. We, we have a whole orchard of noni fruit, which is known to have cancer curative effects. And so um, as part of all our programs, we do medicinal herb, herb walks with the shamans and the translators and spend a few hours down there identifying the plants and the medicinal properties of them. And then that's a small, you know, throughout the Amazon, there's thousands of medicinal plants. So it's hard to contain them all in one garden area. But, you know, we do our best. Absolutely. And just when you're walking through the forest, I mean, there's just so many medicinal plants everywhere you look. Exactly. You know, along with like insects that and <laughs> birds, there's eyes glow in the dark and really beautiful things like that. Pink freshwater dolphins. Pink freshwater dolphins, giant <laughs> anacondas and, you know, birds. And Sloths and So monkeys. many beautiful things. The pumas, you know. We, yeah. we pretty much saw it all, I think, right? when we were there. But tell us a little bit, and I never want to paint anything like there's a dark side, but there can be some concerns with people coming to Peru or anywhere, really, you know, and kind of getting... You're being altered in a way where you're really becoming vulnerable and you're opening up to I mean, so many emotions and just things that really are pretty unworldly and you may or may not even know if what is going on is even happening. <laughs> so if somebody was thinking, hey, I want to go to Peru and I want to go and sit in ceremony with shamans, what advice would you give someone? Yeah, that's really a big question and concern for a lot of people. They're considering there may be fifteen to twenty thousand people a year traveling to Peru for what we would label as medical tourism, coming to seek a solution to health problem, anxiety, depression, addiction, and you know, and that's just the beginning of 
reasons people are seeking it, but then you find yourself getting overwhelmed as you're like looking for a center where maybe you have friends who have been somewhere and have recommended a center that's highly recommended. But years ago, there were only three or four centers in the Aikido's area in operation, us being one of them and a few others. And now there could be easily 40 or 50 different centers in operation. So how do you choose the right center? There are organizations that monitor the centers. And recently we've created what's called the Ayahuasca Safety Association, where the lodge owners have come together and set a list of guidelines, um, safety protocols, right down to first aid and monitoring, you know, the behavior of the employees and the shaman. So there is no foul play that happens, but it is a huge concern. And, and there are things that happen that are unfortunate where people end up with people who don't have the best intentions and people can be emotionally, physically harmed. And we really, you know, my advice is to really research and, you know, look at testimonials on YouTube, read TripAdvisor reviews. And when you get a center who has, you know, a five-star rating like we do and, and hundreds of testimonials where people are just raving about the good times. And, you know, and these are forums where if there is a negative review, TripAdvisor won't take it down. You can't say take it down. <laughs> so there's the good and the bad and people who are playing fairly and by the rule book and running safe operating centers like ours, you know, really have nothing to worry about. But, you know, you can you have to be cautious and, and do your research. And that's why, you know, there are groups that have come together to create a, a, a system of safeguards so people can be sure they're they're going to the right center and it's really going to just benefit their feeling and not have any negative effects. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't think you could ever truly say <laughs> somebody may not have a negative effect only because of the ceremony yeah. experience well, alone. Well, the healing should be a more positive thing, but it's all just really about working with, you know, the right people and, and the right healers in the right place who have an intention for healing. And, and in this industry, and I don't even like using that word industry, but with so many lodges and so much competition, some people really, their intention is to make money and make lots of money. And, and the concern of, you know, their guest is, is secondary to profit. And that's why, like, for instance, I do a rigorous psychological and medical health screening before I accept a guest to make sure they're not on medications to assess their well-being because maybe their situation's out of our grasp to heal if it's, you know, so severe. And and it's that really versus a center who's like, yeah, if you've got money, we'll take you. And that's where we end up having incidences where there have been a few deaths in the ayahuasca community due to people going to centers, being on medications, and the center not being aware of that. And And so it's very, you know, it's a very fragile world when you're mixing power plants with people from all over the world and a lot of people who are on medications and really being careful that that doesn't happen. And that's why we've created the Ayahuasca Safety Association to hold people liable if there is a specific lodge who's continually making mistakes, they get reported. And then it's up to us to put that information out to the public in different forums or report them to the local authorities if their violations have gone that far. Welcome back 
to the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I have Kelly Green here, Chief of Operations at Refugio Altiplano, a natural wellness, a natural medicine wellness center outside of Tamishiaku, Peru. And we have been talking about plant spirit medicine, ceremonies, you know, how people are kind of coming into South America by the thousands for what is being called medical tourism. You've also had a lot of scientists coming to Refugio to study, you know, what psychedelics are doing to the brain and also how we can use plant spirit medicine essentially, you know, to heal things like anxiety, post-traumatic stress and other really debilitating disorders. I know that there was a mind-filled episode called The Psychedelic Experience where Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris of the Imperial College of London came basically to do psychedelic research. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? It's been a very exciting year for Refugio. We were approached last spring by a scientific TV series, I think based out of Los Angeles, called The Mind Field, where the host Michael Stevens does various scientific experiments and mainly about the mind for one episode he locks himself in an isolation chamber and they study how his brain reacts to isolation but this was um season two they excited excited um decided (laughs) to go a little bit further and explore the effects of ayahuasca on the brain so we were really blessed to have dr robin carhart harris from imperial college london be flown in for this episode And they first started um, in Los Angeles at UCLA, and they did a state-of-the-art fMRI brain scan, like basically a magnetic resonance CAT scan of his brain. And then he came to Peru and spent a few days at our center and did two ayahuasca ceremonies. And during the ceremonies, Dr. Harris did some brain monitoring with a portable brain monitor and did some cognitive behavioral testing on Michael. And then afterwards, they returned to UCLA and did another fMRI scan of Michael's brain and compared the before and after ayahuasca data, which was pretty beautiful. So it's kind of the pioneering of Western neurobrain science because the lab at Imperial College in London for years has been studying the brain under the effects of psilocybin, mescaline, LSD, and doing different studies and ultimately trying to cure mental brain disorders like depression, anxiety, and seeing the effects of these psychedelic substances. But in order to do ayahuasca in a lab setting would be quite difficult. So they were very excited to come do research. And this is kind of groundbreaking where this Western neuroscience is now seeing the effects of Amazon plant medicine on the human brain and its ability to cause neuro-renetworking, a neuro-reset process that recent scientific data is showing over an 80% success rate in curing depression. So you mentioned that ayahuasca wasn't conducive to lab research. Why is that? Is there something more that it needs to work than just a doctor prescribing your dose of ayahuasca? Yeah, and that's that's the what I would say beautiful thing about ayahuasca versus these other psychedelics that are being researched is with those you don't really need a practitioner you just ingest the medicine they monitor how it affects the brain and it can be done in a research lab in a hospital or university however ayahuasca 
isn't something you can just take a pill of ayahuasca and do research. Ayahuasca needs to be administered in a ritual setting, which is a ceremony, and it needs to be administered by a shaman who's been trained to work with these plants, to work with ayahuasca. So therefore, in order to do ayahuasca research, you have to recreate this ceremonial setting, or in this case, go to Peru and participate in a traditional, you know, thousands-year-old ayahuasca ceremony with traditional rainforest shaman, and then, you know, collect the data from that point, because it does, as I mentioned, have to be used in a ritual setting, which is the songs, the ikaros, being in the rainforest. And to me, I really feel that that's where the ultimate results are going to show for these people. And so what was the takeaway from the Mindfield episode? What did Michael and Robin have to say? They were so happy when the when they finally compiled the data and did the research. It showed it showed heightened brain activity in regions in his mind that create introspection, that a sense of he kept mentioning a sense of peace and well being. He he was very anxious before he came to Peru and there's a lot of anxiety. And as he left, he said there was a great sense of calm and peace about him. And, you know, and he only did two ceremonies, so he was just kind of at the beginning of the process. But um, definitely even in those two ceremonies, there were significant results. So I'm really, I'm really hoping in the future that we get to work with Imperial College and that Dr. Harris will come back with more researchers. And this is just the beginning of um, doing further research. And so the Western world can actually see scientifically that, yeah, these plants we're working with are so great for the human body, for the mind, for healing what so many people in the Western world are afflicted with, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, addiction, and the list just goes on and on. Yeah, the list does go on and on. (laughs) And, you know, because of ayahuasca being so effective for these things, you know, it's really become popular for people to host ceremony in other places, you know, from Russia to Canada to L.A., all over the U.S., really, I've heard of, you know, ceremonies occurring. What's your opinion on that, if you dare mm. tread into those waters? You know, I myself have been invited to ceremonies throughout Europe, throughout Canada, throughout the United States. You know, I hear rumors that in New York City every night there's 40 or 50 different ceremonies in high-rise apartment buildings or yoga studios throughout New York City. And I personally probably because of my great fortune of spending 18 years in the rainforest with traditional healers and the medicines in its traditional environment. We, we grow the ayahuasca and the chacruna, the psychoactive ingredient in ayahuasca on our property. We make it there and it's just you're with the medicine and its natural environment with the natural practitioners who have been trained to administer it to you. So you're getting the most genuine, authentic experience. And I just feel people doing ceremonies where it's out of the rainforest for one and with unqualified shamans and healers who have maybe, you know, did a six month shamanic training or in some cases I hear they just put on a, a CD and just play Icaros out of speakers and there's not even a shaman there present. So I feel that that's quite a watered down version and could possibly be damaging. But, you know, as, as I always say at the end of this conversation is, It's like ayahuasca is this little magical jungle puma. And if you take her out of the rainforest, she's completely out of her natural environment. And she could act up on you a little bit. Right. She could go a little rogue. (laughs) So she should just just feel that to have the most authentic ayahuasca experience, 
go to the jungle, immerse yourself in the local people, the local healers, the, the ecosystem, and that's where one's going to have their most authentic ayahuasca experience. Well, and especially if we're going for healing, because, you know, the morning after ceremony, there's group and private sessions with the shamans where then you actually go and get advice on what just happened the night before. So then there's like a container and like a sacred space that's being witnessed and translated for you on some level, you know, because you're like, well, this is what happened. And you get this feedback of where you are in your life and, you know, how maybe these images reflected that. Whereas if you're just in somebody's living room, then the next morning you're just wide open and there's no interpretation of just what occurred. Yeah, and if you're lucky to make it to the next morning, I mean, I'm sure that in New York City, after ceremony's over, everybody probably calls an Uber, or gets in a taxi, and goes home. And at that point, it's hard to not see that what happened was a recreational experience because, as you're talking about the integration process, which is equally as important as the ceremony, the days after speaking with the shaman, one-on-one meetings with the shaman and our facilitators, and really going through the whole process, which to me, takes nine to 15 days of a whole process of healing and cleansing and rest. And so waking up in the morning and then, you know, going through your process and talking about your feelings and then doing a ceremony again that night and doing a series of seven ceremonies over 12 days, you're, you're really going to get some healing done. And it's hard for me to understand how somebody could show up at a nice house, you know, up in the mountains in Los Angeles or whatever and do two ceremonies and then just go home. And and I don't see where the integration process is really going to happen in that. Absolutely. I mean, I've even heard of where it's just one ceremony. It's like, okay, so you got blasted wide open and then you didn't get wrapped back up. Which could be dangerous. Which could be dangerous, but you know, the arcana, which you want to explain that a little bit, which happens at the last ceremony at Refugio? Yes. So our, our process, as I'd mentioned, the first couple ceremonies, the cleaning of the body, the next couple ceremonies, the emotional releases happen, and then and then the real magic happens. The ceremonies, you know, if, you know, statistically, like ceremonies four and five, or when people start having their real opening up, their breakthroughs, where they start having those celestial experiences, whether it's with plants or angels or rainbows or dolphins, people are really bringing in a lot of love and light, and the shamans are really bringing that energy in. And, and that's where the, the lot of the healing happens. People are really feeling a lot of self-love, self-awareness, starting to get kind of clarity on the, the direction they want their life to go, their future, feeling, you know, really connected to the people they truly love and cherish, and possibly even seeing people they need to spend less time with. So a whole magical thing happens. And then on night seven is the last night of our retreat when we do the Arcana prayer. And that's a very gentle ceremony that night. And on that night, our shamans will all sing to you, and then the maestro will come sing to you a special prayer called Narcana, where he's wrapping, sealing all the healing work in, into your energy field and creating a, a veil of protection around you to protect you from outside forces affecting you. And we feel that's really important when you've opened yourself up, done that healing, to have that protection around you, where, you know, if you've done a two-day ceremony in the Hollywood Hills and it's over and... And, you know, and there's not that, that, that protection and that guidance and you're just left wide open going back into your normal life, which, so the arcana I feel is a very important part of the process. And on that note, 
Would you say, I mean, you know, the most substances that can be medicinal and healing can also be recreational and fun. And, you know, sometimes there's a fine line between the two. But with ayahuasca, do you feel there is a recreational application for ayahuasca? Or do you feel that it should just be used in the sacred healing space? You know, because that's been your experience with it. And it has been. And I've, I've, you know, I, I get a lot of emails, as you can imagine. I get several a day, people asking the strangest of questions. And so I had an email where somebody wrote me and they're like, so I was invited to do a ceremony at Burning Man. What do you think about that? And I just instantly cringed. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm not going to answer this. <laughs> I just didn't even, I don't even know where to begin there. But, you know, there are, there are people who are looking for a good time and who want to get high, and that's their intention in life. And maybe their intention for even going to Peru to drink ayahuasca, they don't really have any healing intentions, and they're not going there to look at parts of their life they need to work on. And and those are always the guests who are like, oh, can we come out for one or two nights? And and I do get those requests, and, and, and I can sense if somebody is what I would call a recreational tourist. They want to come out for two nights and and before, we used to have a very open-door policy. If people wanted to come out for a few nights and have some healing, we'd allow them. But I found that to really disrupt the group synergy that we create, where everyone's on a healing journey together for 12 days versus people come out for two nights and they're all, woo, and then they leave. So I've eliminated that, where you know we do a minimum of like eight days with five ceremonies just to make sure people are really coming with a healing intention. But I, I could at the same time see people like any substance wanting to use it recreationally. And, and when I hear, you know, I guess if, you know, people in large cities throughout the world are going and doing a ceremony every weekend, I really do question their intention. Are you going like to have fun? Because it's kind of like a party and everyone's hanging out, drinking ayahuasca together. But I really feel that people who have an intention on healing are going to go deeper with the medicine and it's not just going to be this occasional thing. Fortunately, ayahuasca being so powerful of a plant in a situation like our ceremonies at Refugio de Plano, there's nothing fun or recreational about it, especially those first four or five ceremonies where you're doing tremendous <laughs> life healing work. And, and if it were easy and fun in a cakewalk, I'd have people lined up down the river. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. But, so she definitely, you know, there's definitely that part where you have to have humbleness and respect. And I think people who go in wanting to get high and see it as a recreational experience, you know, could get their asses kicked a little bit. So Absolutely. To speak. <laughs> totally. Um, well, let's take a little break All and right. we'll come back and we'll just wrap up our conversation Perfect. about plant spirit medicine and your enthusiasm and advice for those who want to come to Peru and maybe come visit you at Refugio Altiplano. Welcome back to the Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I'm here with Kelly Green, the Chief of Operations at Refugio Altiplano, a natural medicine wellness center near Tamishiaku, Peru. And we've been talking a lot about ceremony and Icaros and ayahuasca and all of its medicine and the potential for healing a lot of our, you know, what we call mental health disorders. You know, we also spoke about how there's a lot of ceremonies happening all over the place, you know, New York City, LA, Colorado, everywhere. 
But at Refugio, you encourage guests before they come to take a couple weeks to do what's called the ayahuasca diet, to really prepare their body for the medicine so they get the most out of their experience. And maybe if they're lucky, we'll purge a little bit less too. <laughs> exactly. So how does, you know, the ayahuasca diet work at Refugio and also, you know, your opinion about how that would work if people are just kind of recreationally doing it on the weekends? We're preparing people for a complete system overhaul. And while at the center, we, we have a very strict ayahuasca diet, which you know, there's no sugar there's no coffee, there's no salt, and there's no pork. And we, it's a very simple, pure diet of fruits and vegetables from the rainforest, rice and beans, fish that we catch right there in the river in front of our property. So it's a very clean diet. And the first few ceremonies, as I mentioned, that the cleansing is cleaning these toxins out of the body. So if we can do a pre-cleanse, which I recommend to all my guests two weeks before they arrive, which is eliminating pork and red meat and fatty foods, deep fried foods, spicy foods from your diet, eliminating excess sugars. I'm sure you're going to drink a little fruit juice here and there, but any, you know, no soda pops or candies or ice cream. And also we do request the elimination of all recreational drugs which is a, including marijuana, which is a plant, but we, we want to start cleaning. The shamans believe marijuana can create a little bit of cloudiness in one's thinking process and kind of just a little bit of a fog over the mind. So there is a whole thing where if you quit smoking marijuana for two weeks and then the last week we do ask our guests to abstain from sex and this is a process of just building up the chi in one's body and to really get your energy clear where you're not, you know, taking on the energy of another person, even if it's your spouse, and really just cleaning, doing a, a full cleansing of your body. And people who really adhere to that for two, sometimes three weeks before coming to the refugio find that, that those first few nights of ceremony are much gentler on them. And the cleaning, they have less to clean out of their body. So it's kind of like a ayahuasca pre-tox. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I feel like can also help just the the medicine, the energy of the medicine be more clear. And if you do go all the way to South America to have a healing experience, make it, you know, as healing as possible by going in there as clean as possible. Yeah, and it'll allow, it's going to then allow the body to be more open and clean than, as you mentioned, allowing the medicine to penetrate much deeper into the body. So a person, you know, the cleanse is really for their benefit to have a deeper experience and really get the most out of their medicine, flying that far to South America and spending weeks out in the jungle and making, you know, a substantial investment in their own well-being and health. So, so you know, to have, and also exercising a little self-restraint and discipline for a couple of weeks to allow this plant to come and help you also is showing some respect for the plant. And I feel like, you know, my own personal experience was uh, definitely the plant wants to be respected on some level. It's almost like, why are you wasting my time if you're not here for something serious? But th I think that's because that's kind of what I, my intention, you know, going into it. But it's kind of hard to do if you're not really prepping for it. If you're just going into these like weekend ceremonies, then you're like drinking coffee Monday through Friday and then, you know, 
drinking ayahuasca on Saturday night or, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's just a different, it's a different scenario that I have yet to wrap my head around personally because I, I do, I do love ceremonial use of plants and, and I can use plants recreationally, but for some reason, this one just doesn't seem like it has that vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm probably too, a lot of the old, old school thinking being in Peru for 20 years, spending as much time as I have with the traditional healers and the Shipipo healers and seeing their deep, deep respect for this plant and seeing it used in any context that's not completely sacred, you know, such as burning man or something. Not that that's not sacred. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, there's place, there's a place in time for everything. However, and I remember a conversation I had with friends a few nights ago about this very subject. And at the same time, I am aware that there are ceremonies happening in Israel and all through Europe and Thailand, India, and all over the world. And that ayahuasca is really making a global impact and she's on the world stage and we're filming documentaries that, you know, millions of people are watching. There's movies on Netflix. It's really hitting the global arena. And the consciousness of ayahuasca is spreading around the world and changing people's lives. And I have no doubt that these ceremonies, whether they're in the Colorado Rockies or the Los Angeles Hills or shoot, maybe even at Burning Man, that some people are having a profound life-changing experience that's benefiting them and making them more of service to the world. So I'm sure ayahuasca has its own agenda and is spreading and wrapping her arms around the whole world. I just feel if somebody really wants the most real, pure, authentic experience to come to the Amazon rainforest, and that's what we will deliver. And just on that note of ayahuasca spreading, you know, into everyone's consciousness, just having the, uh, all the medicines of the jungle spreading into everyone's consciousness. So we see that we need all plants in our medicine cabinet and we need these stronger plants to really wake us up to like, Hey, the world needs humans to be awake so we can do some bigger work on this planet. So it's definitely, I feel one of the, uh, the big takeaways of the mother vine is that reminder of that we are all connected and we're all one on this planet and we depend on each other. We depend on the planet. And ultimately, you know, it's like she, there's one message she has for everybody and it's like, hey, humans, uh, please wake up and, and take care of the planet and save the planet because there is a dire situation where humanity does need to wake up on every level daily. And the way we live, the way we recycle, the way we do everything really has to change drastically because the planet is kind of crying out for help. And ayahuasca is part of the planet saying, you know, just wanting everyone to wake up and, and save this amazing planet we live on. And remember that we are even part of this planet, you know, but that we're not just going to like blast off into our spaceships and be saved while Mars. the trees burn, you know, <laughs> but um, no, I really appreciate you being here, Kelly. And just your final takeaway, you know, I know you said for the most authentic experience, come down to refugio, but really like, what do you just want to leave the listeners with, with your enthusiasm or your love of, of this plant or all plant medicine? Well, I would encourage anybody who has an interest in plant medicine and has an interest in exploring themselves and their relationship with plants in the rainforest, going to South America and partaking in these authentic ceremonies with the traditional healers is a life-changing experience of a lifetime. And 
we would like to host and we do host a, a warm, supportive, safe environment. And our main thing at, at Refugio is we want our guests to feel safe, to trust our workers, to trust our healers and feel that they're in a safe, supportive environment where you can truly relax in your surroundings and allow the medicine to do its work. And that's what we create and several other centers in our area. Really, we strive to create that safe, nurturing environment for all the guests. Well, we definitely appreciate that as someone who wants a safe, nurturing environment for my healing. Um, what is your contact information where people can reach you to uh, either just ask questions or book their own retreat at Refugio Altiplano? Uh, you can find us on the web at www.refugialtiplano.org or at refugialtiplano.com. That should link you in. Uh, we were on Instagram at refugialtiplano2015, and you can also find us on Facebook. And Refugio Altiplano, I'm just going to spell that for people. R-E-F-U-G-I-O-A-L-T-I-P-L-A-N-O. Well, thank you, Kelly. And I appreciate you being on the show. And I hope to have you again, maybe after the next psychedelic or entheogenic research happens at Refugio. Thanks a lot, Jessica. It was my pleasure being on your show today. Well, that interview with Kelly sure did make me want to go back to the Amazon. Uh, there's definitely nothing like being in the presence of true shamans and true healers where you know that the intention really is for, you know, the healing of humanity and the healing of the earth, which we all need so badly right now. So I really want to thank Kelly for coming on the show and giving us, you know, maybe some more insight and inspiration into, you know, the human potential and I know it gave me a little bit of hope. So thanks, Kelly. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe. And also leave a comment on my Facebook page or on my Instagram so I know that you're out there and that I make sure that I give you the interviews and the topics that you would like to see. My Facebook page is Jessica Baker L-A-C. And my Instagram is Baker underscore Botanica. You can come to my website and check out my essential oil line and my book, Plant Songs, Reflections on Herbal Medicine at www.bakerbotanica.com. I look forward to seeing you there. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I always appreciate any comments or suggestions that you may have. Feel free to drop me a line in the comment section below. Shoot me an email at jessicajdragonacupuncture.com or feel free to like or follow me. My Facebook page is Jessica Baker LAC and my Instagram account is Baker underscore Botanica. My website is www.bakerbotanica.com. Come on over to the website and, you know, check out the essential oils I have for sale. Check out my book, Plant Songs, Reflections on Herbal Medicine. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being a lover of plant medicine. Have a great day. <laughs>